0: And whether you're in the venue or in here, we'll introduce you to the newest member of our staff here at Big Valley Grace. This is John. There you go, man. <laughs> now, uh, John is from uh, Indiana, and they don't know much about the Lord out there in Indiana. So what we're, <laughs> what we're doing as a family is we're praying for him that he really starts to really get this thing called the journey of faith. And I want you to be praying for him. He's engaged to just a beautiful gal named Brittany, you know, uh, Brittany's back back home and they're getting married in, in uh, July. And then in July, the, you know, she'll make her way out here, but obviously over the next few months, we need to keep him in our prayers and all of that. But it's a, a pleasure to have this guy, singer, songwriter. The song that he let us in a little bit ago, he actually wrote that song. That was a song I wanna hear. That's it, You know, uh, one of the things that God has done here at Big Valley Grace is uh, brought some incredible musicians here, whether they're up on this platform or those that are over in the venue. And to make it up on this platform, you, 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 they're, they're not the, the best singers and they're not the best guitar players and all that. It, it's, it's what's in here. What? what whether you're over in the venue or not, I know the musicians that were over there and I know the folks that are up here and it's, it's what's inside their hearts. They're humble people. There are some folks that play guitar better, play drums better, and they sing better who haven't made it up on this platform because this isn't right. And uh, we're just blessed by having some wonderful music here. Look, before I get into this message, I want you to pull out that sheet of paper that says next steps. Pull that out real quick and um, Just finished up uh, the last follow class, and I led that. It was on Wednesday nights, and we had about 100 people that were involved in it. Next Saturday, over in the venue, we begin um, the next follow class. It's seven weeks long, and really it's for those of you that are brand new in the Lord. Maybe you've given your life to Christ last weekend, or maybe it's been within the last year. Uh, maybe you gave your life to Christ years ago and for whatever reason you just got goofed up and you've just come back home, so to speak, that would be a class for you to be involved in. It's an hour and a half long. There's child care available, and we'd love to have you be there. And all you got to do is let us know that you're coming. And then this Wednesday night, we start our next um, foundations class or or the fundamentals of the faith class. It's in the the fireside room, and it starts uh, at 6.30, 6.30 to 8.00. And once again, there's child care available, and these are two of the most important classes that we have here at Big Valley Grace, and we run them all of, all of the time, and you need to take advantage of it. And then also, you saw in your program, um, Pastor Gordon Rumble and, and myself are going to lead a trip to Israel. In fact, a year from today, 365 days from right now, we're going to take off. And uh, we're excited about it. And as soon as this gathering is over, or over in the venue, if you'd make your way into the uh, choir room, um, Gordon and I are going to talk a little bit about the trip, uh, where we're going, what we're doing, and all that kind of stuff. I know some of you are thinking to yourself, whoa, man, there's just all kinds of unrest over there. And if that thought in your mind, you obviously haven't read your Bible in a while. There's unrest over there, and there's been unrest over there, and there will always be unrest over there until the Lord comes back. It's just always that way, and Gordon has taken a number of trips, I've taken a number of trips, and we're looking forward to this next one, and we'd love to have you come and, 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 and check it out, okay, right after this, this gathering is, is over. Well, we've been in a series here, if you're visiting with us, um, over the past six weeks called Devoted, where we've been looking at what God has to say about marriage, and we're, we're wrapping it up today. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. God fills this man's life and had him pin these words. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and one in purpose. One version says, live together in harmony, live together in love, as though you only had one mind and one spirit between you. And I want you to know, beloved, that this is God's ideal for your marriage. This is God's ideal for all of your relationships. Whether it be the relationships you have with your brothers and sisters here at the church, whether it be the relationships you have with friends, family, but certainly this is God's ideal for your, for your marriage. God wants you and your spouse to be like-minded. He wants you to live together in, in harmony. God wants you and your spouse to have the same love, to, to live together in love, and God wants you and your spouse to be one in spirit and one in, in purpose What I just read is God's will for your marriage. That's what God longs for your marriage to to be about. But the reality is, is that few marriages experience this. In fact, most marriages are anything but harmonious. They're anything but, you know, loving, which is why America has become the divorce capital of the world. This great country of ours literally is the divorce capital of the world. More people divorce in this country than any place else. And that ought to grieve you. The the divorce rate amongst Christians isn't so good either. And it just ought to grieve you. Now why? Why do so few marriages ever experience God's ideal? Why do so few marriages ever experience, you know, God's will? Well, it's because good marriages just don't happen. And it doesn't matter who you marry. Good marriages, wonderful marriages, great marriages just don't happen. Good marriages are intentional, they take time, they take commitment, and most of all, they take some effort. And in some cases, they take a lot of effort. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four. Paul said, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is God's word to us. God says, make every effort Good marriages, good relationships take effort. They don't just happen. They take some energy. They take some some juice. The reason why they they take effort is because there are forces at work, The, the devil, the demons, your flesh, the world, evil people that you have to interface with they don't want you to have a, a loving and harmonious marriage. They, they don't want you to have unity in your marriage. So, so it takes a, some effort. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort to make your marriage all that God longs for it to be. You see, as much as I believe that, that, that there's a God in heaven who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity down here to planet Earth, to live an incredible life. And a lot of times the church bypasses that piece of Jesus. That he lived an amazing life. We always want to go to the fact that he died on a cross. He died a horrible death. And he did. But he lived an amazing life for you a perfect life for you, and then he died a horrible death for you. I believe that. I believe that they put him in a tomb. I believe that three days later he walked out of that tomb. And we celebrate that at Easter, proving that he was who he said he was, and that was the Son of God. And he did all that because he loved you and he cared about you. As much as I believe in Jesus, I believe in the the devil. I believe in the demons. And we've got this old nature, this flesh, That's just crummy. And you put together the demons and the devil, your flesh, and just evil people. Man, living a harmonious life with your spouse, a life of unity, a marriage of unity can be difficult at times. And today's message is all about effort. I'm going to ask you to put some effort into your marriage, or maybe put some more effort into it. I'm going to give you six keys of a a great marriage. And we've talked about all of these over the past uh, weeks that we've been in this series. These are things that I guarantee you will make your marriage great. I guarantee it. But they will take some effort. I can't give you a magic pill that you take. or I I can't do that. They're going to take some effort. But I guarantee if you put the effort into it, Man, it's amazing what might happen in your marriage. And by the way, over the past six weeks, we have seen God do some miracles here, literally. We've seen God do miracles in our altar room as people have come forward for prayer. I've I've read the stories via email. I've heard people tell me on the phone. I've talked with people how God is at work in a lot of marriages. And there was a common denominator in them all a spouse or both spouses had to put some effort into it. They just didn't magically change. But each of them, as you listen to the story, you heard about some effort that one or both persons put into it. Now, most of us at one time or another have had an annual performance review done at work here at Big Valley Grace. most of the employers are going through that right now, uh, an annual performance uh, review, or maybe when you had your taxes done, you kind of did a financial review, or uh, once a year you go in and have your doctor kind of check you out, you do a physical review. Well, today we're going to do a checkup on our marriages, okay? I want you to evaluate your marriage as we go through this. I want you to really think about your own life as we go through this. I don't want you just to hear something and go run and get in your car, go have lunch, and then this was just a wasted hour and a half in your life. I want you to really think. And I guarantee you that there's going to be a lot of pinging in your heart, a lot of conviction. The Holy Spirit is going to convict many of you. Your conscience is is going to be dinged. And that's a good thing. Especially if you act on it. I want you to know that as I studied for this this past week, wow, my, my conscience, my, my, you know, the Holy Spirit in me was just dinging me in a few areas. And that's a good thing. Because that tells me the areas in my life that I need to maybe tweak a little bit, put a little bit more effort into. And so here we go, okay? Here's the first key. And having a wonderful marriage. You have to make time to communicate with your spouse. And I put some other words up there. You got to talk with your spouse, you know, share some things with your spouse. You have to dialogue with your spouse. That that makes sense, doesn't it? For some of you, especially men, communication isn't a skill that comes natural to you. So so it's going to take some effort. And I know that some of you guys, especially right now, are going, oh man. Oh man, why'd I come today? Really, right out of the gate? Can we go back to the music? I like that singing, that was, that was fun. Listen guys, especially us, we're gonna have to learn how to communicate better. A, a little girl when, when she's born develops linguistic skills much faster than, than boys. They're much more proficient in conversation than boys. And let me tell you, it becomes a lifelong talent. Just, that's just, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Experts tell us that the average man says about 20,000 words a day, while the average woman says about 30,000 words a day, which means if you're a man, when you get home from work, you've basically used up all of your words, <laughs> but, about, but about 50, and so you've you got about 50 left, and so you just kind of grunt, yeah, food. Chicken, good. That's it, because you only got 50 left. But your wife, on the other hand, because she has a greater storage capacity, she still got 10,000. And she's trying to unload those 10,000 while you're just trying to grunt out your last 50. And that can cause some tension. It's gonna take some effort. It's gonna take some effort. I read a study the other day that said about 85% of all marriage problems boil down to poor communication. It went on to say that the average married couple talks to each other about four minutes a day, or about 28 minutes a week. Yet that same couple that's talking to each other for four minutes will spend five hours in front of the television a day, or 35 hours a week. That unbelievable. Listen, some of you simply need to bump that four minutes, maybe up to eight minutes. I, I'm not going to ask you, I don't believe that the Lord is going to ask you to, you know build the space shuttle here. But if you'd put a little effort into it, Go from four minutes a day to to eight minutes. Or if you're at 10, go from 10 to to 15 minutes. If you're at 30, put a little effort into it and maybe go to 45. I'm not asking you, I don't think God's asking you to go from four, you know, to, 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 to five hours. But we can all, no matter where we're at, put a little bit more effort into it and bump that up a little bit more. And you don't have to be a genius to say to yourself, that would probably make a big difference in my marriage or in any relationship really, right? So what are some ways you can go from 28 minutes a week to? maybe 56 minutes, go from four to eight minutes a day. Well, let me give you a couple things. Find a game that you both like to play. My wife and I like to play cribbage together. We like to play Scrabble together. And guess what you do when you're playing games? Other than getting mad when I lose. Um, that's, that's a whole other sermon. Um, is you talk. You're dialoguing with one another. And oftentimes, you know, my my kids may want to come and play, and we'll just say no. We just like to sit and talk and play together like that. Go and get a cup of coffee together. Actually leave your home and go to a, I don't know, a Percos, go to a Starbucks, I don't care where it is, get out of the house and just sit down with a cup of coffee and, and talk to one another. Have a date night. You know what a date night is? A date night is a talk night. You get to sit down and, You know, somebody else makes the food, somebody else delivers the food, somebody else cleans the food, somebody else does all the work, and all you have to do is just kind of hang out and and talk a little bit and enjoy each other's company. There are lots of things you can do to to bump up your talk time. It's important. It's going to take some effort. Now, as I said, I want you to evaluate yourself on the area of communication. On your notes there, you know, you see a 1 through 10 little scale. If, uh, you know, communication is horrible between you and your spouse, give yourself a one. If you say, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, I don't know, give yourself a five. If you enjoy playing games and you have a weekly date night, give yourself a 10. But I want you to evaluate yourself right now. No cheating, no looking over at your spouse. This isn't junior high. You gotta gotta answer this on your own. And, And look, don't be afraid to go, oh, it's not very good. See, see today's a good day. If you, if you stick your hand on a hot burner, that pain that you feel, is that bad or good? It's good. It lets you know, hands on fire, get it off! If you didn't feel the pain, you'd leave it on there and it'd really mess you up. It's all in how you look at the pain. I I want you maybe to embrace the pain right now. The pain is telling you there's a problem. Oh, I don't want to evaluate myself. I know. Don't don't, don't push it back, embrace it and say, you know what? This is telling me that I'm not doing very well in this area of my life. God wants me to have a loving, harmonious relationship with my spouse and it's not that. And maybe part of the problem is communication. And so just be honest. Key number two, you have to be considerate of your spouse. Loving, helpful, respectful. Listen to what God tells us through the pen of of Paul in Romans chapter 12. This is just beautiful. He says, love each other with with genuine affection, meaning there, there can be phony affection. God says, I want you to love each other and obviously he's talking about us and the church, but that extends to our, our spouses. God says, I want you to love your spouse with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Isn't that beautiful? Consider it means you pay attention to what your spouse is talking about. It means you allow your spouse to finish their their sentence. That's what being considerate is. don't, Don't, yeah, you may know your spouse really well and they start talking and you just kind of butt in and finish their sentence for them. Don't do that. That's not being considerate. That's just being rude. That's what that is. It means you show your spouse common courtesy. You treat them with respect. It means you care about the needs and feelings of your spouse. In other words, it means not invalidating your spouse's feelings. Hey, hey, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't do that. You don't have to agree with how your spouse feels. I often say that feelings don't have any IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are. That's why Jesus said, it's the truth that sets you free, not your feelings. You can't educate your feelings. That's why we're to to fill our minds with truth. Your feelings are just whatever they are. And you don't have to agree with your spouse's feelings. They may be totally wrong. But you're not rude. You can't feel that way. Consider it means looking for ways to lighten your spouse's load, which means you go out and bring in the groceries, even if it's the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl or the last inning of the World Series or whatever. Look, a guy's got a leather ball, and he hikes it between his legs to a guy who hands it off to another guy. You know, and your wife goes to Costco and she's loading in a bunch of water and stuff, and a guy with a leather ball in his hand is more important? Do you know that if you went into the hospital, none of those guys would come and visit you? None of those guys would care whether you're in the hospital or not. And when you got out of the hospital, not a one of them would take care of you and change your bandages or cook your food. And yet it's amazing how, wow, we, we can just lose consideration so quickly. Guys, considerate means you wait until your wife has both legs in the car before you pull out of the driveway. <laughs> I, I don't, really, I, don't. I get a lot of emails from people, and you know, probably rightly so, they're accurate, and they say, Man, you're always hammering the guys. And they're right, I do, because I, I am one. And I want you to know something, you read through the Bible and, and God puts a lot of, um, a lot of the responsibility in a marriage on us. And so oftentimes I do hammer guys and I talk directly to guys. That doesn't mean the principles don't, aren't true for the ladies that are here. Have you heard about the five stages of a, of a marriage cold? The first year of marriage, you know, your wife gets a cold. Baby, darling, I'm worried about that sniffle you've got. Man, I've called the paramedics to rush you to Kaiser Hospital for a checkup and some rest. And because I know you don't like the hospital food, I'm going to bring you meals every day. That's the first year. (laughs) The second year, sweetheart, man, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Chin to make a house call. Let me go tuck you into bed. That's that's your two. Your three. Man, you look like you got a fever, baby. Why don't you drive yourself down to Walgreens and get yourself some medicine? And I'll, 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 watch, I'll watch the kids for you. You see? It's not, I don't know. Uh, year four. Look, be sensible. After you fed and bathed the kids and helped them do their homework and done all the dishes, you really ought to get in bed. That's, that's year four. Then you hit year five. For Pete's sake, would you stop coughing? I can't hear the television. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, and I read that and I was convicted. <laughs> how did someone get in my brain? Unbelievable how that can happen, isn't it? Man, when I was dating Erin, she lived down in, in San Luis Obispo, four and a half hour drive, and I lived here. I'd I'd get in my car early in the morning, and I'd drive all the way four and a half hours down to San Luis Obispo, and then we'd have lunch together. And then I'd get in my car and drive four and a half hours back. Nine hours on the road, and it was worth every moment of it. Today, she asked me to block out a half an hour to have a lunch. Man, I don't know. I I. Woo! I'm a busy guy. What, half an hour, you, are you crazy? I got, I got 15, I give you 15. <laughs> and I, I just spent nine hours on the road you know, a decade ago and it was worth every second of it, it's believable. Now look, I wanna take a minute and I wanna talk just with the men. So ladies, plug your ears, take a nap, get on your iPhone and do some shopping online. This, I, I don't care what you do, I just want to talk specifically to the men because God has something to say just to us guys. Uh, God, God gave us some wisdom through, through the pen of Peter. It says this, husbands, 1 Peter 3, in the same way be considerate, considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and all that means is, is generally women are not as strong physically as men are. That's all that means. Now, I know that you know, the East German women, when you see them in the Olympics, are always huge. I, I, don't, I don't know how that works, but generally speaking, um, the you know, men are just, we're just stronger physically. Uh, respect as a weaker partner, as heirs with you, of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's pretty serious business to God, guys, how we treat our women. That your your prayers can be actually hindered because of how you treat your women. We live in a time when people have cameras all over the place, and we can actually go to other countries now and, and, and watch television from the comfort of our living room and just see how other countries, other religions treat their women. And there are some religions out there that are just brutal to their women. Brutal! Not Christianity. The God that's revealed in this book lifts up All human life, every one of us is created in the very image of God, whether you're a man or a woman. And God makes it very clear, men, that He expects us to treat our women in a particular way. And if you don't, it will actually hinder your prayers. And Peter says three things here. He says, number one, I want you to be considerate of your wife. Be considerate. And I just talked a little bit about that. Number two, Peter says, live with your wife. Or let me say it to you this way. Live with your wife. (laughs) Live with yours. Don't be living with somebody else's wife. Men, you live with your wife. That's God's will. In other words, spend time with your wife. Go places with your wife. Do things together with your wife. Be a companion to your wife. Be best friends with your wife. Living together means sharing together. Men, we tend to, you know, come Departmentalize uh, our lives, work and and, and marriage and sports and hobby, whatever, and your wife needs to be aware of all those things. Don't put them in little silos and and keep your, your woman out of those. You need to share your life with her, not just your bed with her, and not just your meals with her. You share your life with her. That's God's will. And then Peter says, respect your wife. Respect your wife. Men, study after study has shown that the number one determining factor in your wife's self-esteem, how she feels about herself, is how you, as her husband, respond to her. How you speak to her. How you listen to her. How you treat her. How you feel about her. Men, God calls us to honor our wives, to value our wives, to appreciate our wives. Depreciation means to lower in value, and that's happened in all of our homes, right? They've depreciated. Appreciation means to raise in value, and every time you appreciate your wife, you make her more valuable. Men, you have the power to raise your wife's self-esteem simply by the way you appreciate her. That's power. And when you don't do that, your prayers, men, will be hindered. Some of the reasons why some of your prayers haven't been answered is simply because of how you treat your spouse, men. It's a serious business to God. Now, once again, it takes effort, but it's what God commands us to do. The Bible says in Colossians chapter three, husbands, love your wives and never, never, never treat them harshly. For some of you, ping. Look, I want you to embrace that. Just embrace it. I know you're nervous. I know some of you right now are going, oh, man, I'm just. When you get in your car in a little bit, don't, don't turn on the ignition and just drive away. Don't, don't do that. You just need to sit in the car and just lean over and tell your wife, I heard from the Lord today. I'm sorry because I've treated you harshly. And I, I, I want to change that. And let me tell you What would that take me? 15 seconds? 20 seconds? <laughs> Literally in 20 seconds. <gasps> a miracle could happen in your marriage. But I also have done this a long time here at Big Valley Grace. And I understand human nature. I understand the flesh. Some of you, you're so dug in and so full of pride, you won't do it. You won't do it. The idea that you would actually apologize ain't coming out of your lips. But I know for some of you, wow, you just heard from the Lord. Love your wives, God says, and never, never treat them harshly. Evaluate yourself in the area of consideration how considerate are you with your spouse? If you're horrible, give yourself a one. If you're only considerate, you know, when you're in a good mood, I don't know, give yourself a minus one or whatever. You know, if you only help your wife when she asks you, ah, that's pretty good. Give, give yourself a five maybe. But if you look for ways to, to lighten your spouse's load, if you look for ways to make life a little easier for your spouse, give yourself a, a, a ten. Okay? Now, the, the third key of having a wonderful marriage is this, is you have to be willing to compromise with your spouse. Flexibility, you know, give and take, negotiate kind of a thing. And I'm not talking about compromising on theological issues. I'm not talking about that right now. The Word of God is the Word of God and it never changes. I'm not talking about compromising here. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God gives us a a flavor of what real love is. He says love is patient, it's kind, love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude. And then the word of God says this, it does not, love, real love, does not demand its own way. Bing! Some of you felt that, didn't you? Because you actually heard God's voice. Real love does not demand its own way. Beloved, this is the mark of real love. Loving spouses don't demand their own way. And I want you to know, this takes effort. For most of us, it takes a lot of effort. And the reason why it takes a lot of effort is because we're stuck with our flesh. We're stuck with the old man, the old nature. And the old man, the old nature, our flesh likes things done it's way. It wants things done it's way. And The idea that I might have to compromise, no, 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 no. I like things done my way. Let me give you three facts of every marriage. Fact number one is that you will have conflict in your marriage. Everybody does. That's just a, a fact. Two sinful people come together, they say I do. You, you, you're gonna have some conflict because you're both sinful. You both have the fl- your flesh still. Number two, fact number two, there will be issues that you and your spouse will never agree on. There are some things you're just, you're just not gonna agree on, and that's okay. One of you, you know, likes a particular kind of music, you know, when you're driving in the car, and your spouse likes a different kind of music, different style of music. You know, you like jazz, and your spouse likes polka. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and, you know, it doesn't mean it's evil. Polka's not evil. Jazz isn't evil in and of itself. You know, it's just, it's just different. And number three, compromise is the evidence of real love. Because real love isn't going to demand its own way. Real love isn't going to say, listen, I like polka music, and that's the way it is. You meet in the middle. You're flexible. You yield your right. You give and take. You, you learn the art of negotiation. My wife and I live way out on the east side of town and we have children here at the school and boy we're driving back and forth all the time. And so we've been trying maybe to find a house closer and you know my, my wife wants a, 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 a you know a one story house and I want a two story house and we negotiate and went with a one story house. Um, <laughs> my my wife likes, you know, wooden floors and, and I like wall-to-wall carpet and we negotiated and we went with wooden floors. I mean, you, you, you gotta learn, you know, gotta learn how all that works, it t- takes some effort. <laughs> Look, if you, ne- if you don't learn to negotiate, if you don't learn to compromise, you're just not gonna have a good marriage. If you're always demanding your own way You're not gonna have a a, a good marriage. And by the way, you have to compromise on lots of things. You have to compromise on the kinds of vacations you take. Some of you like to do 102 things in seven days, right? And some of you just go, dude, I just wanna get to the pool and hang out, right? Gotta compromise. You have to compromise on the way you raise your kids. Some of you were raised and your parents, you know, gave you a swat on the tush. Some of you would never even think about doing something like that. And there comes a moment when, you know what, you, you got to compromise. You have to compromise on the way you spend your money. you got to compromise on how often you see the in-laws. You have to compromise on how you spend your, your day off. You see, we have to, you have to do it. It takes some energy. It takes some effort. But marriages, I believe more marriages die from inflexibility than maybe anything else. One spouse just says it's my way and that's the way it's gonna be, you know, and they may not do it like that, but that's what they're saying. And so everybody just kind of, yeah, you know, you're the king, you know, and we just do it your way. So evaluate yourself in the area of compromise. You know, if you're a jerk until you get your way, give yourself a one or whatever. If you talk about issues you don't agree on, give yourself, you know, a two. If you go the second mile with each other, you, 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 you give in, you do more than your fair share, then give yourself a 10. I, I don't know, you evaluate yourself, all right? The fourth key to having a great marriage is this, is you have to continue to, to court your spouse. You have gotta continue it. Dating, hanging out, whatever, togetherness, Beloved, the real problem with many marriages is that what you did to win your spouse's love, you've not continued to do to keep your spouse's love. You stopped courting. Someone once said, "If there were, if there was more courting in marriages, there'd be fewer marriages in court." (laughs) And that's probably true. I mean, just think about how it was when you were courting, dating. Your wife, your husband. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? And then something happens. I want you to think for a moment. Most of us see our spouses at the worst possible moments of every day. In the mornings when we wake up and man, there's all kinds of stress and pressure to get ready for work and get dressed and take a shower. Or we're trying to get the kids ready and trying to get them off, you know, and get them to school and all of that, and, and then we're away from each other for, you know, eight or nine hours, and then we see each other when we come home from all of the stress and the pressure of, of working or, you know, watching the kids and doing all that stuff. It takes some effort to say, you know what, we're going to continue to court. We're going to continue to date. We're, we're going to make sure that that there are times when we're together kind of a thing. Take some effort. It's not easy to do. You gotta pull out your Palm Pilots, your daytimers, whatever it is you do, and say, we are gonna schedule some time so we can go hang out and be together and have fun, do whatever. Listen to these incredible passages from God's word. The Bible says enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Enjoy life. And that's kind of the way it was when you were dating. Remember that? When you engage, was that, that, that stage one of marriage that I talked about a few weeks ago. Man, you enjoyed it, you enjoyed being with them. Man, I'll drive four and a half hours just to gaze into her eyes for an hour. <laughs> and then get in the car and drive Four and a half hours home. Unbelievable. Colossians 3 once again says, Husbands, love your wives. Guys, here's your memory verse. Proverbs 5. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a, a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Guys, that's a command. (laughs) And it's a fun one to keep. Unbelievable. Now, some of you are going, oh, uh, the preacher, what is he doing? doing? Oh, I can't believe it. I'm not coming back to this church again. (laughs) I'm just reading the Word of God. Anybody who says that God is somehow a killjoy as it relates to sex and all that stuff just hadn't read the Scriptures. God invented this thing, he knows, how, he knows how it works. And guys, look, you ought to write that down on a three by five card, put it up on your mirror when you're shaving, you know, go to work, come home, and fulfill God's command. That's what I'm talking about. I, I, I didn't write it, I'm just glad God wrote it. I, I, you know, I, And, you see, God longs for us to have wonderful marriages. He does. He wants us to have loving and harmonious relationships. That's His will. Now, it takes some effort. And this area right here of of courting is huge. I want you to evaluate yourself. How do you do in this? You know, if, if your courting or dating is non-existent, give yourself a one, I don't know, or if your schedule a, a weekly date night or whatever, give yourself a seven. I, I don't know, I don't know what it is in your life. As I said, I went through some of these. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be straight up with you. I didn't want to put the evaluation on here. Because frankly, I don't do them all real well. I have seasons where I'll do one better than another, and and then there's a season where I'll do that one well, and another. This preacher is right with all of you. I'm I'm working this thing out too, and there's some areas that I gotta put some some effort in. The the fifth key to having a good marriage is you gotta be totally committed to your spouse. This is the whole cleaving thing, making vows, promises, whatever. Uh, The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united and they become one. And that word joined there in the Hebrew literally means to be glued together, to be adhered together, to stick together. That's what marriage is to be. You and your spouse are to hang on to each other. You're to be glued together to one another. You're committed to each other. When a person says I do, it's a total commitment. You're glued together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. You're glued together. You're totally committed to one another. And it takes some, some effort. I was uh, at um, Barnes and Noble, and a guy came up to me, and he didn't go to church here. He went to another church, but he recognized me. And he said, hey, are you, you know, Pastor Rick Countryman? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, um, Hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And, you know, we're kind of in a row of books and looks around like we were having a clandestine meeting, you know. And uh, I go, yeah, what's going on? He said, um, what do you do when you're, you're tempted? He was a married guy. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's a, there's a gal at work, and, and, and I, she's tempting me. Kind of with that. And what do you do? I said, well, that's simple. I said, I want you to look down at your ring, and I want you to remember the day that you made a vow to the woman, and there was a bunch of people there who witnessed the vow, and by the way, God heard you make the vow. That's what you do. You remember the day you made a commitment to your woman. That's what you do. You see, we're all tempted. Every guy in here's been tempted. Every gal in here has been tempted. Temptation isn't anything new. Jesus was tempted. Being tempted isn't sinful. We've all been tempted. The Bible says that that no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. We've all been tempted in areas. And so when that temptation comes, and it's going to, don't be shocked. Don't flip out. Just simply look down and go, I made a commitment to a woman. I made a commitment to a man. I made a vow. And maybe you, you, you fumbled that with your first or your second or your eighth marriage. I'm not talking about that, let that go. You can't do anything about that, but you can do something about this marriage. You see, don't, don't worry about your past, your past is your past, you can't do anything about that. But just say, man, I made a commitment. That's what, that's what matters. In fact, I gave you a definition in your program of of, of commitment. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy for a while until you can work things out. Uh, there's gonna be moments when you're not happy in your marriage. But a commitment is you say, man, I'm sticking this thing out till we work it out. I heard about a guy recently that had a big you know party, a big shindig for his 25th wedding anniversary. And the guy stood up in front of all of his family members and friends and said, I'd just like to thank my wife for 15 great years of marriage. (laughs) And here's the deal. I get it. And if you've been married more than one year, you get it. Not all the years can be great. Not every day is going to be great. Not every week is going to be great. Not every month is going to be great. But a commitment says it doesn't matter whether today's good or bad. It doesn't matter whether tomorrow's good or bad. It doesn't matter if we got a bad year. I'm committed to you. Evaluate yourself on the area of commitment. If you're, you know, toying with the idea of leaving your spouse, you know, give yourself a one. If you've used the word divorce as a threat, you know, when you're mad, give yourself a, a two maybe. I don't know. If you say divorce is not an option, I made a vow, and I'm gonna stay committed, I don't know. give yourself a 10. Now, now we get to the final key, okay? You have to be in a growing relationship with Christ. This is, you know, prayer, I don't know, Bible study maybe, uh, church. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the one who gives you the power and the desire to do the other five. You you can't pull this off on your own. I can't pull it off on my own. It takes effort. And Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, a growing relationship with him, he's the one who gives you the power and the desire to pull off the other five. Listen, the greatest thing, men, that you can do for your wife is to become a godly man. It's the greatest thing you can do. Ladies, the greatest thing you can do for your man is become a godly woman. And this takes effort. Becoming a godly man or a godly woman takes effort. You see, you you can't, you know, put your Bible on your head and go, Transfer! Transfer the knowledge! Transfer! You you, you can't do that. I wish you could. But you can't. It takes some effort to spend time with the Lord in prayer. you got to set aside some time in the morning, maybe for morning prayer. you got to spend some time, uh, you know, set aside some time for evening prayers. That takes effort. You you have to spend time with Jesus through the reading of His Word. It takes some effort. I know. There are other things that your flesh is going to want to do. Watching, you know seinfeld reruns is going to be more important to your flesh than spending time in the word it will take some effort i know it you have to spend time with jesus by attending his church and there's lots of great churches in our town i don't care if it's this one or not but you ought to be in a good church but it takes some time, you gotta get up, you gotta get dressed, you gotta get your kids all ready, and just about the time you're ready to walk out the door, you know, your youngest spills hot chocolate all over themselves and now you're running around. I know, it takes effort. But there's a huge payoff from the effort. The more godly you are, the more you'll love your spouse, listen, the way God loves them. And I wanna make sure you get that. The more godly you are, the more you will love your spouse the way god loves them not the way you love them not the way the world says they ought to be loved but the way god loves them and the bible says that god you know demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners jesus christ the second person of the holy trinity hung on a cross that's love Man, he gave his life up for us. And the more godly you are, the more you will will do the same for your spouse. So evaluate yourself in the area of your growth in Christ. Some of you, maybe today, you gotta say, man, if you're a gal, I'm gonna gonna, gonna take some effort and I'm gonna sign up for our woman's retreat. That'd be a fantastic thing for you to do. That helped you grow in your walk with the Lord. Some of you ought to take that Bible reading. We put it in the program every week. And we're all reading through the Bible in a, in a year, at least. That's what we've encouraged you to do. And I know that about half of you said, I ain't doing that. And I know why. It takes some effort, it's not an easy thing to do. I, I get it. I, I know. God knew. That's why He said, Make every effort. Because life often takes effort, especially when you wanna have a great relationship with family members or friends or your spouse or whatever. Some I mean, of you ought to come to our men's ministry, our women's uh, m- ministries. So evaluate yourself in, in this area. You know, how, how well are you doing in your growth in Christ? These are the, the six Uh, keys of a satisfying or or a wonderful marriage, how you can have a wonderful marriage. Good marriages just don't happen. They take these six things. And here's how I kind of want to end. Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up right now, okay? And I want us, over in the venue, stand up, okay? I want us all to say these six things out loud together, okay? Good marriages, wonderful marriages don't just happen. They take Communication. No, uh, no, 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 hold on here. That was so weak, it was unbelievable. Um, let, 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 let's try this again, okay, here we go. Wonderful marriage takes communication, consideration, compromise, courtship, commitment, and Christ. Now look, we have a room called the altar room. It's open after every one of our gatherings, Saturday night, last hour, this hour. Over in the venue, we have the altar room also. And it's a place where the spiritual leaders of the church, pastors, elders, hang out. And and I just want to encourage you. Maybe as you went through these six things, um, you went, wow, I I do four of them pretty good right now, but man, there's one I, I need some work on. You know, you could go into the altar room And let someone pray for you. Let an elder of the church pray for you. Let a pastor pray for you. That's what the Bible says you're to do is call for the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, have them pray and confess it to them. Say, man, I don't do number one very well. Would you pray for me? Or I don't do number four very well. Would you pray for me? Or you know what? I don't do any of them very well. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've been coming and coming and coming, and and you've never surrendered your life over to Jesus. You gotta go into that room and say, you know what, I I need Jesus Christ in my life, and let us be the first one to give you your first Bible and get you started on a set of tracks that you can run on. And whether you're in here or over in the venue, it doesn't matter. There's a place for you to go. The preaching's done, the singing's done, the giving's done, the praying's done, that's all done, but God ain't done. I know he's working in some of your lives and make sure you, 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 you take advantage of that. And then don't forget, Pastor Gordon Rumble and I are gonna be in the, in the choir room. If you're interested, maybe checking out Israel with us. Why don't you close your eyes and, and Pastor Scott, would you end our time in, in prayer?